1: Hello and welcome to episode 102 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, we're speaking with John Ford. John is a cybersecurity strategist at IronNet and is an information security veteran with over 20 years in a wide variety of roles. Prior to IronNet, John was CISO for ConnectWise, the global leader in providing software solutions for managed service providers. In this role, he was accountable for customer-facing security activities, product security, and served as an advisor to the CEO and leadership team. Before joining Ironet, John founded Siena Group, a firm dedicated to providing data protection solutions to enterprise organizations and has held executive roles in the healthcare industry. In this episode, we discuss healthcare security, compliance versus security, HIPAA regulation and privacy, intellectual property protection, real-time information sharing, ransomware in hospitals, recommendations for new CISOs, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. All right, John, thanks for joining me on Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? Great, Doug, and thank you very much for having me. Well, thanks. And uh, how are you surviving all fun things of the pandemic and the, the general fun of being in 2020?
2: Uh, I, I, at a personal level, uh, it, it's been fine. I mean, my my role at IronNet, uh as a you know cyber strategist is really to you know, get out there and talk to people, whether it's you know executives and in, in, uh, you know customers or. Or just spreading thought leadership around. So instead of doing that via planes and you know trains and automobiles, um, you know I've been doing it through uh, forums like Zoom. Yeah, so
1: was, all good. yeah. I was telling, uh, I kind of shared a, a saying that at least I have, and I'm sure you've you've heard as well. That it's, it's I took I stole it from the military, of course, but you know it's kind of adapt and overcome. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it, it, I find it's 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 something that's almost ingrained or. In our souls if you've been doing any kind of cybersecurity long enough you're just kind of used to things going a little bit sideways so you just kind of roll with the punches i find and it's almost this weird way of by being in cybersecurity i I found the people that that are in our our industries have seemed to done pretty well
2: yeah yeah you know in, in um in in some cases you know it's benefited people but um you know i i think for sure uh you know now you know in march everybody was walking around kind of punch drunk right but um, you know, like by now, I think we've figured out that, um, you know, we have to be, uh, you know, resilient, right? And we, you know, we have to be able to be flexible.
1: Definitely. So how did you get started in, you know, what we now call cybersecurity?
2: Well, that was uh, a very long time ago, back in uh, the late late 1990s. I was uh, working for Lucent Technologies. And uh, Bell Labs came around and, and said, we need somebody to... Uh, Played with this thing called a firewall and none of my colleagues raised their hand but I did and my boss at the time told me it would be a career limiting move and um but here I am you know 20 plus years later <laughs> and um you know so it, it worked out pretty well you know I I had a military background um prior to that and so my initial customers were in the DOD and fed space um you know so it it worked out well and then I uh, just a lot of work with uh, government contractors post nine eleven 11 and just evolved from there.
1: Yeah, it looks like you've even had a little bit of a background within healthcare as well, um, which is has its own set of uh, interesting parameters when dealing with cybersecurity and risk management.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've had the benefit um, of uh, working in the healthcare environment for a number of years uh, as a CISO of a couple of companies. And then I uh, had my own company for a while and, and um, you know, we had a pretty strong focus on healthcare, care, and it is unique. It's, um, you know, it, it's completely uh, different than any of the other critical infrastructure sectors, <laughs> to say the least.
1: And how, how often do you have to deal with, with you know, the the overarching HIPAA issues and having to kind of navigate those waters because the things I've always seen with that, it's always interesting because it's, there's definitely a compliance mandate. (laughs) And we, I think we all know that, you know, and maybe you can dive into, you know, the difference between compliance and security and how you try to kind of get (laughs) both those things in line and kill two birds with one stone when you're in leadership.
2: Yeah. You know, in, um, in healthcare, uh, the focus really has always been on compliance, right? And you know, that's where fines come from. And I say to people all the time, you know, you could be perfectly compliant and not be secure. Uh, but the the reverse really isn't true. Because if you're if you're you know focused really on security, then ultimately um, you know, minus things like reporting, um, you know, you tend to be compliant, right? And uh, but in healthcare, you know, we we've created um, an environment, you know, with the, the best of intentions to protect the privacy um, of uh, individual, you know, information, you know, EPHI and PHI, but but we've created this environment of you know you know heavy regulatory handling, right? And uh, it, it, you know, as we see with COVID, um, you know that that all turns, you know, that all flips on a bit very quickly. <laughs>
1: Oh, for sure. You know, and that's very interesting to bring up COVID because it's, it's funny. I think those of us that have worked in cyber and particularly with the healthcare space, you start seeing a lot of these things like track and trace of where, you know, people might have been exposed. But it's certainly, uh, it, you know, it's one of those weird things where it's like, yes, I want that, but do I still want that at the same time? So how do you try to balance out, you know, the kind of data privacy with the overall, uh, you know, needs of a community?
2: Yeah, I, I I think you know we're at you know for better or well for better or worse we're at an inflection point um, in healthcare when it comes to privacy and security, um, you know, and COVID really created a lot of that. Um, you know, we saw the relaxation from some of the you know regulatory items you know related to HIPAA, right? Um, and that wasn't you know in, in a sense that that you know provided. Um, you know, better access to care through, you know, through the telemedicine um, components. But really, you know, what it, the way I looked at it is, you know, for all of the effort that we put into compliance in in healthcare, um, you have a black swan event like COVID-19 come along and you have providers making a decision. Am I gonna provide care or, or, you know, or, or am I gonna remain compliant and, you know, People didn't go to medical school to become compliance professionals. They went to medical school to save lives, right? So, um, what we quickly saw was that that decision is really not a decision. It, it lasts about a nanosecond for a provider. They're going to provide care, right? Um, and and I think it's kind of a uh, you know, uh, you know, w- where this might have some positive outcomes is it's going to you know cause us to innovate and to think you know really down the road. How we approach things like you know privacy concerns and security concerns in healthcare, care uh, while at the same time making sure that um, you know we have you know that that individuals have a very good access to care because I, I don't think we're going to go back to uh, a brick and mortar environment like we were um, you know we don't know how long COVID-19 is going to last but who knows if there's going to be a COVID-21 and and so we you know we have to innovate and this is the time for us to do that, and you know, and, and really sit back and rethink some of these regulatory constraints. I mean, I'm all for you know um, items that uh, place protections on people's uh, privacy of information, but you know, but at the same time, we have to let uh, you know providers care for people. So I think I think we have some interesting times in front of us.
1: Yeah, it's it's you know, I think we've seen this in. Other other aspects of cybersecurity and data privacy, you know, you, you get competing kind of almost interests and in values, right? Because if you think about the Hippocratic oath of do no harm, you know what? Then it's a degree of harm. It almost seems like you know, do I provide the best patient care that I can in the immediate need, even though it might have a potential downstream harm of a data privacy risk, right? So it's how do you how do you measure those things out? I guess maybe you maybe shed some light. For what are some of the things that People that do fall under HIPAA compliance should look at when trying to make sure they do the at least the best they can, or take into some consideration of things that they could do for protecting uh, patient privacy.
2: Yeah, you know, and and, you know, Doug, on this point, it's it's kind of interesting because I think now that you know we're six months into this thing or more, um, you know, now I do think the providers are stepping back and, and saying, "Hey, you know, I'm." I'm talking to somebody. I'm diagnosing something over a home network. Uh, maybe I ought to, you know, before uh, that person logs into this session, advise them. You know, make sure that you're in a private space within your house, and you know, because you could be talking about like healthcare concerns that maybe a family member doesn't want another family member to hear about, right? Uh, or maybe you know, even ask the questions like, um, you know, this is risky. Uh, us doing the session, you know, have you taken some measures uh, to, you know, perhaps have somebody help you protect your home network? You know, again, providers aren't IT specialists, um, but then even on the provider side, you know, have they stepped back and said, is this application that I'm using, um, you know, more or less secure than other choices out there uh, to use? And, and you know, they, they should be diligent about doing their own research on things of that nature. You know, it's, but it's a, it's a challenge. You know, I I, I read something uh, a couple of months back, uh, an interesting perspective from a provider. And, and you know, like the security aspect was way down on the list because what they were most concerned with was can I do a, an adequate and an accurate diagnosis um, in a Zoom session? And, I, you know, I thought about that. If I was a provider, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd be more concerned with how can I make an accurate diagnosis here, right? Um, you know not really concerned about <laughs> this zoom session i'm about to embark on but um but yeah I, I you know i i think now that we've gotten to this point um you know i think there's practical guidance out there um and and i do think that both provider and patient um, should just you know adopt this model moving forward I, I think telehealth is is a wonderful innovation um but i think that we as an industry uh, need to do more to help it you know help them, Um, have a secure environment without them having to think about it. The patient really shouldn't have to think about that and neither should the provider. So I I think we're going to see more innovation in in applications that come out. Um, I think we'll see better innovation in home network security. Um, And, and, you know, hopefully that will provide us a little bit more comfort um, concerning the data, you know, issues that we currently have, right, Uh, as well as the compliance, uh, you know, you know, concerns that come along with uh, data breaches.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's almost, uh, you know, we've been talking about zero trust and how the endpoint's new firewall for, you know, a couple of years now. And it seems that this has propelled, or at least, you know, the the events around COVID have propelled a lot of that to happen. Now where you have uh, all of a sudden this huge remote workforce, and I was trying to, Explained to somebody else the other day that, you know, it's, it's unique in that sense that we all kind of saw this coming and it's funny and, you know, in risk management and cybersecurity and, and leadership, you always say, hey, you don't want to plan. We want to plan things like 18 months out. And then all of a sudden it was like 18 hours where everybody had to do the things everybody was suggesting about cloud migration, securing the endpoints and, Everybody's trying to do that while remote in the middle of a scary pandemic. How, how have you kind of coached people through that of saying, okay, yes, this is things we wish we had planned. We had enough time to plan for, and we've probably been telling you. Um, but now you have to do it in a very short period of time. So, how, what, what are some of the things that you've kind of maybe encouraged people to do in the short period of time to maybe do that kind of 80-20 role? Like, here's something you can do that's going to give you a little bit of coverage.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, look, COVID-19 was clearly, you know, to us, was clearly a, a, a black swan event, right? Um, difficult to predict. Um, not that we couldn't predict pandemics, as you mentioned, you know, and people would plan for them like as if they had this timeline, um, but they don't. You know, there's a couple of areas that I think, um, well, a couple of areas that, that we've been talking to people about, and, um, you know, as areas of focus, both now and in the future, and that is, you know, when you look at something like an event like this, um, you've really spun everything on its heels. Um, so, for instance, as a former CISO in healthcare, I looked at my network environment as about eighty percent secure and twenty percent, and not so much, right? Um, well, that you know, that got flipped on its head um, in March, where I think a lot of CISOs would agree with me that they were now looking at twenty percent, you know, where they felt comfortable, you know, comfortable with. And probably eighty percent they weren't sure, right? Um, a perfect example, uh, you know, one of the health plan uh, colleagues that I, uh, you know, that I did work with, is accountable for infrastructure, and uh, they had a call center out in the Philippines with thousands and thousands of people, right? Who would all climb into this call center every day? Very secure physical environment, no phones allowed past the entryway, um, you know, like privacy screens, you name it, right? And all of a sudden they're shipping, you know, thousands of laptops um, to Asia uh, for people to use in home networks to do their job. He's like, I just can't fathom how to secure this, right? Uh, And that all happens, you know, in a very rapid time. So, you know, my my advice to them and and what we've been working with people on is to to really focus on two things, right? But focus on resilience more than absolutes. there is no absolute security, and, and you you mentioned at the beginning of this broadcast of how people in security just accept <laughs> change, right? <laughs> um, and, and we have to do more of that. We have to focus on being resilient over perfect, right? And over our old model. Our old model may not come back, uh, so we have to focus on being you know flexible and resilient. And we have to put the focus on people and not and, and not infrastructure. Um it, it, where the people move is where the work is going to be performed. Uh where the people go is where care is going to be delivered, right? And and if we focus on resiliency and, and people, um, I, I think we have a better way of, of you know um you know moving rapidly and being a little bit more nimble on our feet than if we try to find ways to try to leverage old ways to try to secure new functions. I I you know, so you know, the guidance we've been providing is around those two areas as well as, you know, collaboration, um, you know, and collaboration is, is is huge. Our adversaries have taken advantage of this timeframe and, um, you know, they've pivoted much faster than we have. And, you know, what we see is organizations simply cannot defend themselves in isolation, right? So we need to be more collaborative and to provide a visibility and situational awareness so that we can be resilient, um, you know, as we go through this pandemic. And then, you know, who knows, we don't know how long it's going to last, but, um, you know, prepare for any other type of black swan event. Um, You you know, we can't predict these things, but if we have enough data and we can be resilient, um, you know, we could probably do ourselves much better good that way.
1: Mm. It kind of, you know, refocusing a little bit just because you've had such a good background with healthcare, I mean, you know, and it's obviously a very relevant topic these days. I mean, is there is there any, you know, particular type of threat or adversary that, you know, that you would say people in the healthcare sector should be particularly concerned about as we're in this kind of new pandemic age?
2: Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> you know, top of mind is, well, first of all, when I, when I look at healthcare as a sector, you know, I have this vision of this large triangle with um you know, people like life sciences firms at the top and you know health plans another you know supply chain in the middle and then down the bottom the long piece is where care is delivered and um, I think the closer you get to where care is delivered the more ransomware you're gonna see. Um you know ransomware is not going away um it, it was you know if you were an economics professor you would look at ransomware as almost a perfect business model right Low barrier of entry, low risk of failure. You know, uh, you know, high rate of return and low competition. Right, and so I, I think ransomware is going to continue to be an issue, particularly where care is delivered, because, you know, it's not like a bank where you can just say, oh, let me just go grab a couple of backups, and I'm not going to pay this ransom. Um, if you have an organization that shut down and life is on the line, um, you're going to pay that ransom, right? Or most people would consider paying that ransom. And so you know, this is not lost on the attack groups out there. So you know, they are going to escalate this, and they have a perfect opportunity. We have remote workforces. Um, you know, we have um, you know RDP. You know, as, as a particular protocol that is probably being used more now than it ever was. Um, so there's you know, there's definitely more vectors and vulnerabilities out there for people to execute um, you know a, a sophisticated ransomware attack. Um, you know, back in 2019, before I joined Ironnet, uh, we, uh, we were helping a firm with a uh, ransomware event and it went through over a thousand machines in under 90 seconds. And, and when you consider the magnitude of that, right, um, it, it's shocking. So I, I, I see ransomware, you know, big in healthcare. I, I see, uh, you know, our nation state adversaries, um, you know, they, they've certainly upped the game on, you know, intellectual property theft, um, providing misinformation, uh, disinformation, if you will, um, you know, and, and and make no mistake about it, we are in a space race 2.0, you know, with this whole vaccine, um, you know, development. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think healthcare is is probably a more critical sector right now. Um, and, um, you know, particularly for things like ransomware and intellectual property theft.
1: You know, and in, in one of the things, you know, that I always try to contemplate or at least struggle with is that, you know, is it, is more government intervention helpful? Is it more compliance? Is it less, you know, what, where can, it, you know, maybe an overarching government entity help with this, but also not be an inhibitor. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's that's a great question. And, and you know, uh, a selfish plug, you know, from IronNet is I think we have, uh, you know, a, a solid approach. Um, Government intervention, you know, government—I don't want to call it intervention, but participation. Government participation is vital here, right? Um, you know, because what we're seeing from these attacks is—and not, you know—they're not just run-of-the-mill attacks. They're coming from very well-organized groups, you know, and nation states. And these organized groups are actually forming cartel-like structures where they're joining forces um, to better execute attacks, you know, uh, on private sector entities, right? And so you know we we feel the right balance is uh, this ability to share you know real time threat information between the sector and the government and and by doing so you know like traditional threat sharing has been a a, you know a a unidirectional right one way you know you get you get sources and it gets pushed down to an ISAC and that's great that's you know it's great information but what we need is real time information where across the sector, we have organizations collaborate, right? And then that information being shared back with the government, um, you know, it, it's, I, I'm I'm pretty sure if our government saw a very, you know, well-planned nation state sponsored campaign uh, marching across our healthcare sector, um, that they have it within their means, you know, um, to respond to deter that event, uh, based on whether that be you know political means, you know, cyber means, whatever. That's not up not for us to decide. Um, but if they're not even aware of that that occurrence, then we haven't put our government in a position to help protect us, right? And so, you know, the you know, we believe the way forward is, you know, this real-time sharing of threat information where the government participates as well. But this is bi-directional. This is no longer, you know, like, you know, one one way uh you know um throw of information. So this is, you know, bi-directional in real time. And and by doing so, we're not, we're defending as a sector. We're not defending in isolation. And I, I, you know, we think that if we can, um, you know, propagate this type of an approach moving forward, that, um, you know, that the sector as a whole uh, will will actually, um, you know, be more resilient and be able to better, you know, uh, detect and prevent attacks from occurring.
1: Yeah, I think it's, you know, and maybe, I'm seeing it just now over the last couple of years, but I've certainly seen this, this greater maturation of industry specific types of either design from a blue team's perspective, you know, how are you are going to have some kind of resilience and, and security operations, um, because it really has to evolve. I mean, there there are those foundational things. That we all know we need inventory, good ACLs, and RBAC. But there's things that go into the very – every industry becomes a little specific. You know, when you look at uh, energy and gas, healthcare, finance, everybody kind of has their unique thing. And it's You know, – I'm hoping it is. It's because we are starting to share more of this threat until we say, well, look – when an attacker is going after a fin serve, they're not. They're doing very specific TTPs. There's specific IOCs that are going to come out of this. And once you learn from that, that's specific to you, and it gives you a leg up. And I'm I'm hopeful that that's there's again there's a greater maturation of that of industry specific threat intel.
2: Yeah, I, I I agree, and I I think so. And I think what I think what also follows on that, in particular, the healthcare. Um. So if you think about another sector for a minute, um. You know. If there's a ransomware attack, the security team is going to get involved, and and you know maybe the business comes to a crawling halt, right? Um, but you know if, if it's a manufacturing floor, okay, you know maybe we can't manufacture today. When you think about ransomware in a hospital, everybody who is associated with uh, you know delivering care to a patient is also part of that incident response team, and and so it's different than other sectors, right? Because we're dealing with lives, so the person who's walking around with a computer operator workstation who's in a room you know trying to you know trying to look at a medical record for a patient that just came out of surgery and all of a sudden doesn't have access to it um, what what is our expectation of that individual right so what what we believe is in addition to this collective defense model of sharing information proactively right that we also have to focus in particularly in healthcare on things like tabletop exercises and when these events occur You know, what is the role of people? Because, you know, Doug, as you probably know, since COVID, the folks that are delivering care are absolutely overwhelmed. They're having a hard time focusing on their day job. And if we throw an event ransomware at them, you know, and I'm talking about the people that provide care, that can't be the first time that they deal with something like an incident and, and all of a sudden have to think about what to do, right? So, you know, we've been advocating um you know that, that people do tabletop exercises and involve people in these organizations to say you know if this occurs you know here's here's what you have to start thinking about and don't let that be the first time don't let the incident be the first time they have to think about
1: that. Yeah, it yeah it actually let's yeah we'll, we'll dig into tabletops a little bit because I, I think they're incredibly important and they should not be a recipe and just too formulaic what i like about them is getting uh different business units in a, in a room and then arguing with each other saying, see, this is what's going to, you think this is difficult to figure out now, wait till there's a real incident. And one of the things I like to do is like, and say, yeah, that that's a great plan. That'll definitely work. What if it's 3am uh, on a Saturday? How are you guys going to, you know, take that same script and just reframe it in a different time of the day. And people go, Oh crap. Yeah. Somebody's not going to be available then, or I don't have a call tree for that. So what, what are some of the things that you try to encourage for organizations to do kind of meaningful tabletops?
2: Yeah, you know, we uh, it, it almost exactly what you just said. You know, we, we pick a few examples, you know, um, like we call ingests and, and and we run through them, right? And um, you know, so one would definitely be, hey, that you know, there's a ransomware uh, occurrence and you know, this this time of day, this location, um, you know, what what's everybody's role and responsibility? You know, we we go through that. Um and, and then, you know, we, we play that back, right? And then say, okay, how do I extend this out to the broader organization? Because you can't take an entire hospital and put them into one, you know, TTX, right? You're going to take a subset, um, but then how do you get that, you know, spread out throughout the rest of the organization? Um, you know, it's, they're very, very meaningful. Um, they do take, you know, they do take time, um, but, you know, we, we find that, in a scenario such, you know, such as ransomware that, um, you know, they provided a, a ton of value.
1: Right. Yeah. I would say it's funny, you know, in, in having dealt with some, some crazy ransomware events myself, but yeah, you see, I think particularly those where you have to really think about, um, you know, I was thinking of an organization that had 26 sites go down in about, it was about. I think it was under nine minutes. It was just under nine minutes uh, just because they're, they're, they had such a well-designed WAN uh, active directory replication that this malware went out and the payload started spreading ransomware to all these remote sites all of a sudden. And you know we didn't know at the time which sites were getting hit in which order, but we wanted to see that cadence. And so all of a sudden, as you mentioned before, even with healthcare you know, people becoming those first lines. Now I have office managers. I'm like getting them on a phone. I'm like FaceTiming. It's like, show me the screen of what it said. And, and when you first, you know, almost interviewing people. And it's like, ha- you really almost have to think about all these outliers of things because attackers don't, they don't do it for your convenience. And I think, <laughs> I think that's something that's hard to drill into people's heads. It's like, no, we got this. It's like, you got it now in a nine to five, but in a perfect situation, attacks never happen that way.
2: Yeah, and, and as you probably know, I mean, the, you know, a lot of times with ransomware, it's the last event that, that occurs, right? Yeah. So, you know, they've already been in the network, they've already exfiltrated data, and now, yeah, you know, maybe they're on to me, or now maybe the time I want to try to monetize this, um, you know, that that at times can be the last event in the sequence. So, you know, you, you asked about, like, you know, how do we, you know, with, with the sector, like, how do we get information out? Um, you know, I talked about collective defense, but, you know, the other thing um, that I think is having uh, a great impact is like the ISACs are doing a great job. I know we're working very closely uh, with the Cyber Alliance um, as, you know, that C5 Capital had started. And, you know, there's, there's actually a, health, a healthcare entity over in the UK um, that is offering, you know, um, cybersecurity support for companies to participate uh, so that they can share information. Uh, and we can get better threat information available to us in real time. Um, in fact, we're we're actually uh, uh, working with them on a, on a CISO forum of select um, CISOs uh, from the healthcare sector internationally uh, to really just highlight some of the bigger issues out there and get some of this thought leadership uh, put out and distributed best practices out to the communities, um, you know, such that maybe we can you know, we can become that more resilient organization, if you will, but um, not just, you know, have the ability to share threats, but share uh, best practices as well. And, um, you know, I think we need to do a lot more of that.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's probably cliche to say, but we've we... Saying it for years that you know cybersecurity is kind of a team sport, <laughs> you know you need a lot of a lot of people. There's not one person that has it all, but yeah, I've I've found different organizations uh, incredibly valuable, and it's not just on a threat intel, but idea sharing and mind share, you know, for for. You know, whether it be ISSA or CSA or, you know, different organizations to work with, where where are some of the ones that you've found particular value or might encourage others, particularly if you're CISOs and healthcare or or specific verticals to say, you know, here's some industry organization to reach out because kind of that birds of a feather helps figure things out. You
2: know, recently I've been doing, you know, a lot with Cyber Alliance, and I think that that's a great, uh, you know, uh, uh, avenue, you know, for organizations. Um, you know, the healthcare ISAC has been around for a long time. You know, they have, uh, they have, you know, really good solid leadership there, you know, great people. Um, the membership is solid. The information that comes out of the ISAC is very good. Hymns, you know, um, it, it's unfortunate with COVID because, you know, we used to like to go to those conferences and get in front of people, right? Um, but it, but you know, ISACA also does a great job, right? and um, ISC Square, but I, you know, I, I like the forums that Isaka has put on, um, you know, they've done a great job. ISMG uh, is another one that, you know, has different areas of focus, um, but, but those organizations, you know, like they're easy to, uh, they're easy to join and uh, you can get, you know, a ton of information, valuable information from them, um, as well as be able to participate on, you know, yourself. We always um, encourage, over the years that I've been, you know, see, so taking the junior people on our teams and really throwing them into <laughs> places like, you know, the ISACs and sands and and others, so that you know, early on in their careers, they get this concept of community and um, you know, being able to learn from others outside your four walls. It, it's it's very important. So um, you know, I'm I'm always uh, happy when we collaborate, you know, with the ISACs and and, uh, the cyber alliances of the world.
1: Yeah. It's, it's funny because it's, I think you become a little myopic when you think, oh, geez, I'm, I'm seeing this, I'm seeing this. And then you talk to somebody else and you go, oh my gosh, you're seeing this too. Now I'm seeing a trend. And it, you know, one, it's just, just statistical anomalies can't happen on, on one event. So it's that sharing becomes, becomes greatly, greatly important. Um, you know, and you mentioned being a CISO and, and trying to, to get people into that role. And I, I, I've, you know, even in my role now, I, I think you and I have very similar types of roles of this evangelistic, have histories of CISOs, but trying to break down the difference between the tactical security operations versus the strategic on the CISO level. And I don't think a lot of people realize there's a, bit, there's a, there's a gap there in most organizations. Um, so I guess what would be kind of a pep talk or some advice you would give to a, a new CISO who's maybe come out of operations but doesn't necessar- necessarily know what they're stepping into?
2: Yeah, you know, <laughs> um, I, I've had the benefit of working with a few like that. Um, it's a it's a dramatically different role, right? Like if if you come, particularly if you come out of SecOps, and you know you're you're living day to day event you know event to event, um, and now all of a sudden you you're thrust into you know a CEO's executive staff meeting, um, and you're trying to provide. Uh, information to them, or you're reporting, you know, directly to the board. Right? Um, it, it's a big transition, and, and your line of sight goes from something that occurs in seconds and minutes to something that occurs over a year. Um, a big example of that is, you know, b- because I was a CISO in healthcare when you know CISOs were really, you know, coming into prominence. Um, I, I found it almost to the extent that we had to educate. Um, executives and board members on how to deal with us as CISOs, right? But then we needed an education on how to report to the board. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the way um and I, I've actually you know helped some younger CISOs uh through this and, and you know there's a way of uh, of providing vision right so we you know in healthcare we're dealing not just with security we're dealing with compliance and we're dealing with risks that occur both risks that we know and risks that are emerging that have an impact to both of those, right? And then you then you have to marry that up with you know this thing called a budget and the projects that you have in flight and the projects that the organization has in flight on how you're securing that. And then you get something like COVID nineteen come in and how do you deal with that, right? And so you know um, I, I do think folks in, in uh, security operations. Uh, do well as a CISO because they can understand what's happening in the here and now, right? Um, but their challenge is going to be, you know, looking, you know, looking downrange and, and always focusing on, um, you know, emerging threats versus the threats that you know versus, you know, this, this razor edge balance of, you know, it, you know, should I spend more or less on security and how does that impact my compliance posture, right? Um, and and keeping the organization informed, it's vitally important for CISOs to keep, you know, the executive team, you know, regulators and, you know, the boards of directors, it's vitally important for them to keep everybody informed, right? There is no, you know, "Eh, I don't know if this is going to be an issue type thing and then it blows up in your face, you know, you you have to be very transparent um, across those teams. But really, you know, it's the transition of looking down lanes versus um, being in the here and now.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I was I was helping somebody the other day in their their sec ops, and we were talking about behavior analytics, and you know which regions that we were going to track some things. And I said, well, you know, and then there's some people in Europe, and I said, oh, let me put my CISO hat on. Have we cleared this with legal? And they're like, well, why? I'm like, because you're going to monitor people in a GDPR regulated environment. I'm like, oh god, we didn't even think about that. I'm like, I know that's the problem. You got to think about all these things all the time, and it's exactly it's, and it's, that's, and that's,
2: that's a great example. And by the way, yeah. that you know, that was a big thing for COVID.
1: Right. So, yeah. So, you know, I greatly appreciate you taking the time today, John, what, what, where can people find you and and what are some of the things that you're you're working on currently that, that you're hoping is going to move the needle forward?
2: Yeah. So, you know, we can, so uh, you can find me at, uh, you know, john.ford at ironit.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. So if anybody would like to connect to me on LinkedIn, Uh, and do greatly appreciate you inviting me here today, uh, Doug. But um, some of the things that we're working on, you know, I kind of mentioned the Cyber Alliance. You know, we're doing a lot of work with them. We're we're pushing forward uh, this collective defense initiative at at IronNet, um, you know, working with folks in healthcare, um, in all aspects of healthcare, really. Um, You know, with life sciences companies, all the way down to, you know, uh, EMR. Uh, firms down to you know care providers right on being able to share you know vital threat information in real time uh such that we can you know as a community um you know provide that visibility and situational awareness uh for which that we can you know deter and detect uh you know threats coming our way um as as well as you know i mentioned tabletop exercises uh trying to stress the importance of that uh, also and and you know, the, the tremendous learnings that can come out uh, of, uh, of those types of environments. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it, you know, COVID COVID's made it a little interesting, but, uh, you know, again, I, I think there's a, a real silver lining coming out for cybersecurity, particularly in healthcare. A uh, ton of innovation coming, you know, a ton of innovation that we're participating in, in as well as others. And, um, you know, I, I think the future is going to be bright. Um, you know, down as we go further down, you know, the road here.
0: Yeah,
1: never waste, never waste a crisis, right, to to evolve and and adapt. Well, John, thanks again. Um, I will be sure to put where people can find you uh, in the show notes. And uh, I hope you have a great day and stay safe out
2: there. You too, Doug. And thanks again for having me. And uh, thank you, everybody, for participating.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com, where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.